listening to the Makers and Mystics podcast. This is your host, Stephen Roach. This is episode six. Today we're going to listen to a keynote that I gave at the last The Breath and the Clay Creative Arts Gathering. This message is called, The Gift of Failure and the Architects of Hope. I'm going to share three, maybe four stories that have changed my life and, and really spoken deeply to me. One of them is Ernest Shackleton. Does anybody know who Ernest Shackleton is? And the ship, the Endurance. Um, the second story is uh, Captain James Riley, who was captain of a ship called the Commerce. Uh, he's a lot less known uh, than Shackleton. Third one, I'm sure you've never heard of, but it's a guy named Reverend Cooper from Mississippi. And then the, the fourth one, of course, is uh, the story of a man named Jesus that you may or may not have ever heard of. Anyway, I'm going to start with Ernest Shackleton. So Ernest Shackleton, in the early 1900s, uh, he was an Arctic explorer, uh, and uh, he had this ambition that he was going to um, be the first man to ever walk across the Antarctic continent. He was going to take a crew of guys, and uh, the North Pole had already been sort of flagpole there, but nobody had done that uh, on the South Pole. And it was the last... Uh, Arctic exploration possible on the earth. Everything else had been discovered. And so he spent years uh, raising money, uh, handpicking his crew, uh, dreaming into this, this desire, this ambition that he had to go and walk across the Antarctic continent to be the first one to ever do that. He ended up getting uh, lots of money, even from uh, the queen, Queen Alexandra, uh, presented him with a lot of money. She gave him a Bible uh, and blessed his, his effort to do that. Right when he was getting ready to leave, uh, war broke out in Europe and almost um, uh, sm- obliterated his whole trip and ability to do that. And then she blessed him and said, go and proceed, you know, they, they proceed with what you've planned. Okay, so he goes, he gets um, 27 men and one stowaway that they found. <laughs> um, so 28 of them sailing away from Europe, now at war, and they're going to the South Pole. And they were away from civilization for about a year because it took a little bit longer to get around back then. And so they were away from civilization for about a year. And they get to Antarctica, and they get into these huge ice flows. And suddenly, uh, unexpectedly to them, their ship gets stuck in this ice and it then freezes onto the ship and began to crush their ship and they could not get out of this situation they could not get out uh, of this frozen uh, situation they, they all got out and they're all spending days and hours chipping this ice desperately trying to get out of this situation they're in have you ever felt that way <laughs> you know you have this dream, you have this thing that's in your heart. You've, it's been blessed for you to go and do it. And then you get almost there. I think they were like between 60 and 90 miles away from their destination. And then the ice froze them right there. They get out and they're chipping for all they're worth and they can't do it. And finally, the ice completely crushed the ship. And all 28 men had to get out and live on an iceberg for almost a year. They lived on a floating piece of ice, no civilization, no way to contact anybody. There's nobody for hundreds of miles. 
28 of them, they get out and I bet the stowaway had second thoughts at that point, you know? <laughs> and um, they got their lifeboats out and everything. And at one point, uh, they, they, Shackleton, uh, um, they started making their plans how we're actually going to survive. And, uh, and in that moment, his ambition changed from I'm going to be, I'm going to go down in history as this great man to suddenly I've got to keep these men alive. And so his perspective shifted from his own personal greatness to serving other people. And, uh, and sometimes we have to get stuck to have our perspective shifted because I'm as guilty as the next person. Sometimes it's so easy to get self-focused on what we're doing that we forget that our own fulfillment comes through serving others. Um, and so they're gathering up everything that they're doing. And I love this. One of the, the, and this will come into play uh, later in the story too. But uh, one of Shackles, uh, Shackleton's... Um, commands or whatever uh, to his crew to keep them from going insane is he said, you have to journal every day. You have to keep a journal and you have to write in this journal every day. And so when they, are, um, they had to kill their pack dogs and eat them to stay alive, they ha- I mean, you can't imagine what these men had to go through just to stay alive. But in the middle of survival, he said journaling is part of survival, basically. And they had to keep these journals. Okay. And so... They figured out a plan. They're, they're going to get off of this ice floe and actually make it to an island. Um, so they had to leave things behind. And he, so he had this Bible that the queen had given him. And he knew he couldn't take this Bible with him. But he went to the book of Job. And uh, I think it's Job 38 where it says, From whose womb comes the ice? And he tore this page out and put it in his pocket and left the rest of the Bible there, and they walked on. One of the other men thought it was bad luck, so he picked up the Bible and stuck it in his bag. (laughs) But I started thinking, here he is in this desperate situation where ice had crushed his dreams, had crushed, uh, threatened their lives, and then he tears out the page that says, from whose womb comes the ice? In other words, he's saying, yeah, I might be in this desperate situation, but I know the one that this came, that this ice, that this situation came from, and he is God even above this ice. And that's what I'm carrying in my pocket. So I want to suggest to you, what is that scripture for you to tear out in this season of your life and put in your pocket to remind us that he is God over whatever we're going through? You know? So they walk on and... Um, I'm going to shorten the story. You've got to look it up. The History Channel did a documentary on it. You can find incredible information on this story. It'll blow you away. But at one point, he, he gets all the men to this island uh, that's at least um, they can stay there for a little while. And then he takes two men with him. And he says, we know that there is a whaling station on this other island uh, I don't know, 100, 100 miles, I mean, a long way away, but he was like, this is our only hope of survival. I've got to get to this whaling station where there's civilization. And so he takes his, his two men with him, leaves the other guys on the beach, and he gets them in this little lifeboat, and they sail across the most turbulent water in the world for 100 miles or so. 
and no, uh, no navigational tools or anything. They're like figuring out where they are and how to navigate by the most crude possible way of doing that. And they finally get to this island. They made it, miracle enough. They get to this island, but they realize they landed on the wrong side of the island, and there's nothing but snow-capped mountains for miles and miles and miles to get to the other side of this island where the whaling station is. So now him and two, who, two men still carried their journals with them. And they had to walk for 36 hours nonstop because they could, if, they slept, if they fell asleep, they would die. And they walked for 36 hours across these mountaintops where the snow could have caved in and you don't know what's, it, it could, the avalanche, all this stuff. So here's what's amazing. Independently from one another, at the, the end of the story is this. They made it to the whaling station uh, they found civilization, and not a single man died on that expedition. All of them got back to land. Absolutely phenomenal. But when they returned and people were looking through uh, their journals, they found out independently from one another, each of them said, as we were walking across these mountains, we had, I, I had this strange sensation that there was a fourth man walking with us. And he said, I had to continue to count the people with me. There's three of us here. In Ernest Shackleton's journal, he said, I had the sensation that there was a fourth man walking with us across these mountains telling us where to go. <clears throat> All three of them wrote that in their journals. Is that amazing or what? And, um, you know... What kept them going was hope. Hope got them through that. They remembered from whose womb came the ice. There was hope. There was a fourth man with them. Now, story number two. Captain James Riley. This um, Shackleton was in like 1914. Uh, this is um, in the late 1800s when this happened. He was a, a Christian man. Um, and he was a merchant, and he had a, a merchant ship called the Commerce. They were from Connecticut. He sails with 11 men on his crew. They're going to, I think, India um, just to do business. It's just a business trip, normal, everyday life. Well, they get to the, uh, the west coast of Africa, uh, near what's Morocco now, and they get into the most uh, dense fog that it, it was so dense they could no longer, they, they didn't know where they were going. They didn't, uh, they, they couldn't see where they were going. Has anybody ever been through some dense fog where you didn't really know where you're going? Uh, you're just going along and suddenly you're in this fog. Well, in this fog, they shipwrecked. And unfortunately for them, they shipwrecked on uh, the coast of uh, West Africa and there was a huge wall of, of rock and they, um, they got out. The first thing that happened was a nomadic tribe came up and killed several of their men. They got away from, uh, some of them got away from there. They climbed, they scaled this wall. And when they got to the top of this wall, they looked and all they could see for miles and miles was the Sahara Desert. <laughs> I mean, talk about hopeless. And uh, this Christ, they were all Christians, he, and um, they ended up getting enslaved 
by a nomadic Muslim tribe. And these, uh, these uh, desert uh, wander, as a wandering uh, tribe enslaved these Christian men, beat them terribly, had, just had an absolute horrendous experience. They had to drink uh, camel urine to stay alive. It was, it was absolutely hopeless. But he didn't lose hope. And one night, Captain James Riley prayed to God and said, God, if there is a way, please, please help. Please help. This. And that night he had a dream. And in the dream, this English man walked up to him and said, God has decreed for you to see your family again. And he saw this eye in the heavens that shone down on him in the desert and showed them a pathway. He woke up the next day and uh, knew that God had spoken to him. And uh, what's beautiful is that the, uh, the History Channel has done a documentary on this as well. And they, in both of these stories with Shackleton and this, they have to, they have to grapple with the, the supernatural element that happened in this story. This isn't like, you know, Christianese story. This is awesome. I love it. They had to grapple with this reality. And so he devises a plan and he communicates with his uh, slave owners, the people that own him at that point. We know where you can get a lot of money for selling us. <laughs> and they devised this whole thing and ended up making their way to the U.S. Embassy, I think, in Morocco. And when he, when he got there, and they opened the door, he looked at this man, and it was the man from his dream. And he just, he just wept, and he survived, and he saw his family again. Now, here's what's important about this story. He kept a journal. <laughs> he kept a journal through this entire experience, and he, he wrote out everything that happened. Now, in America, they, he got back, he, they published his journal, and a young man by the name of Abraham Lincoln got a hold of his journal of this experience, and it became one of the foundational writings that Abraham Lincoln read as a teenager. And then when Abraham Lincoln was in office, uh, he cites this man's journal and said, this is, what in, this is what gave me the courage to abolish slavery in America. <laughs> the point of this is, beyond the importance of hope, and a little footnote of journal your life, please, <laughs> is that our stories are a little piece in a much greater picture. Ernest Shackleton, even though he didn't accomplish uh, what his ambition was, he has gone down in history as being one of the, most, uh, one of the greatest examples of leadership that you can, that you can read. He had, millions of books have been read about the leadership of Ernest Shackleton because in a moment, it switched from personal ambition to serving other people. And when that switch happened, he did go down in history, not, because, not for what he wanted to go down in history for, but he went down in history as one of the greatest leaders of all time. And then, of course, with um, James Riley, his story and his journals led to the freedom of an entire people group. And um, so my third story, and this one, um, 
No one, no one knows about this story. So I feel kind of special that I don't even remember how I found this story. I think this story found me. But that's part of the adventure with God, isn't it? These things find us. Okay. Reverend Raymond Cooper. I mean, excuse me, Reverend Cooper from Raymond, Mississippi. Um, he built a church, and um, he had a plot of land, and on his land, he wanted to drill a well. He wanted to dig out a well so that he could have water for his family. So he hires people to drill this well for or dig this well for him. They get uh, 30 feet down in the ground and hit complete rock. No possible way to dig any further. Have you ever been digging a well and you give all that you've got to dig this well and suddenly you hit rock? And no matter what you do, you, you can't get past the rock. You just have to stop digging. So he, 30 feet down, he stopped digging, forgot about the well. He went on with his life. And one night, I think even a couple years later after that, and he had a dream. And in this dream, an angel visited him. And the angel said, Cooper, you must continue digging your well. Much depends on it. And he woke up. And the way the story reads, he said, I perceived that God may have been speaking to me. <laughs> and so he decides, well, let's follow this up and see what happens. And he hires another team, and they figure out how they can dig through this impenetrable rock. And they dig through it. They get through it. And uh, I don't know how many feet lower uh, they, hit, they finally hit water. But uh, I love this phrase. The guy that was um, digging it, he said, uh, Reverend Cooper, we have hit water, but it stinketh mightily. <laughs> it is of no use. It is of no use. You can't, you, you can't drink this water. And he didn't understand what had happened, but it was um, sulfur water. And what ended up happening is they discovered, I don't know how, I don't know the process of this, but they discovered this sulfur water had healing properties. And they ended up making this uh, spa. And people from all over the place with skin diseases and all these things would come and bathe in this water. And they would get healed of what was afflicting them. Is that incredible or what? And then um, things moved on. But in the 19, I love this, during the Depression, uh, his whole land and the plantation he built, because he actually got pretty famous and rich, and it was a big deal. Um, but during the Depression, it became an artist colony because it was no longer useful. Uh, nobody was buying these expensive spa trips or whatever, so the artist moved in and took over, and I love that. And um, I think there's something to that one, too, you know? And uh, so those three stories there, all three have supernatural intervention. All three deal with struggles between hope and hopelessness. All three deal with situations that you can't get out of. And all three remind us of the one from whose womb comes the ice. He's the well digger, you know? So really, and, and when I was thinking about this whole thing, I, I wanted to title the message, The Gift of Failure. 
And I know that seems kind of odd to say, but as, as creative people, um, part of what creative expression requires is risk. If we're going to create anything, we have to ri- be willing to risk failure. But what is so amazing is that we have the scripture that says love never fails. So I did the math and I said, well, if I do what I love, I can never fail because love never fails. And there's a big difference between failure and quitting. And some of the most incredible failures lead to the most incredible inventions. You know, so many stories about that. And so I want to encourage you uh, to risk, to fail. And if your ship gets stuck in the ice, uh, if the fog causes you to have a shipwreck, if you're digging your well and you hit rock, um, let's look for the supernatural bridge builder, you know? And um, the fourth story is a man named Jesus Christ. Uh, He was a carpenter. He had a small group of followers, mainly comprised of fishermen and social outcasts. And this group of followers came to believe that he was to be the Messiah, the Savior of Israel, the one that would redeem them and set them free from Roman oppression and usher in a new kingdom. However, instead, he was rejected by the religious community of his day. He was deemed a blasphemer, and ultimately he died a criminal's death, publicly humiliated and mocked. And from a human perspective, he failed. If you look at it from humanity's perspective, he did not accomplish the mission that they thought he was to accomplish. Instead, he was cut off in the middle of it, and he was murdered, and he he failed. But that failure led to the redemption of mankind, you know? And so I just want to encourage you this morning uh, that there is no failure because love never fails. And you and I are the architects of hope. And um, the story that he's writing through our lives is the story of hope that we can offer hope to other people. And so I believe that in order to really have hope, we have to have healthy imaginations. Hope and the imagination, hope is a product of the imagination. Um, I think that's one reason why Paul spoke uh, negatively about vain imaginings is because it's important to have a healthy imagination, to imagine rightly, to, because hope deals with the future. You know, hope deals with something that has not yet come Uh, in the present moment. And the way that we access the future is through imagination. You know, from the simplest thing of uh, the restaurant I'm going to eat at at lunch right now that I am visualizing with my imagination. I hope that I eat there. (laughs) I can smell the curry. No, excuse me. Ah, So, um, hope and imagination. And I believe that one thing that the Lord is doing, and, ho- and, and, even, and hopefully <laughs> through the breath and the clay and these things that we get to be a part of, is he's restoring hope and he's restoring the imagination so that we can, in, we can envision um, what he desires to do in the earth.